and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown. I am your ghost of a host, Gary, here to entertain and inform you about the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. I am joined today by my wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Goldie Ann. Hey, Gary. How are you today? I'm good. So you're like ghosty? Does that mean you're going to ghost me? And I would never ghost you. Oh, I may good. haunt you. Well, that. We'll see who gets to do that first. <laughs> A race to the finish? Yeah. All right. Well, um, it's getting kind of an exciting. Uh, this month, we will be attending Spooky Empire in Orlando uh, during the weekend of October 21st through the 23rd. So we'll have a table there. So if you're in the Orlando or Central Florida area, please come to Spooky Empire Orlando. Visit our table and let us know. Come have lots of fun at our table. Yes. We will be discussing all kinds of ghosts and ghoulies and creatures of the night. I'll also have my book there to sell if you would like. And also some spooky earrings. Ooh. Definitely it's going to be a fun time my for little side, My little side job. <laughs> Ride the coattails. Hey, do what you can. <laughs> now, also, Goldian, did you know that we are now at two years of podcasting? What? Really? I know. Oh, uh, wow. During 2020, because of all the problems with COVID and everything being canceled, I decided to do a podcast to talk about ghost stories since we couldn't visit haunted houses or things like that. We did have to take a break as we were moving to another house, but then we started again last October, and now we're on episode 63, and wow. we are progressing very quickly in entering our third year of podcasting within the mist. It does, definitely doesn't seem like it's been that long. It doesn't. It's kind of neat looking back and seeing how many episodes we actually have done. So I'm kind of happy because I think we're getting better with each episode and who knows what the future holds for us. Hopefully we're getting better. <laughs> we're getting more listeners, so I guess we might be getting better. Yes, more listeners are are coming in and we are expanding. So year three should be a really big growth for us. Awesome. But also, more importantly, Goldie Ann. Yes. Do you know what a ghost favorite makeup is to wear <gasps> translucent powder close oh dang it a ghost favorite makeup to wear is mascara okay babe you know nothing about makeup that is nowhere near close but it is scary okay scary that you don't know nothing about makeup well i guess that's a good thing <laughs> it would be a little bit harder to explain if i did yeah okay but what on I, with the show! What I do know is that today's episode involves a story of the murder of a young girl. Her death is quite real with some very gruesome details. Oh, no. We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe just a little. Listener discretion is always advised. A young woman named Ella M. Cropsey, called Nell by her family and friends, was spending the evening with family and her suitor. 
It was the night of November 20th, 1901, and before it was over, she would vanish without a trace. Over a month later, her body would be found floating in the local river. Despite a man having been convicted of her murder, some say that her uneasy spirit still haunts her home in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, looking for the truth about her death. Join us today as we go within the mist to tell of the ghost of Nell Cropsey. So we have a ghost story for you today, Goldian. That's exciting. Chapter 1, Southern Bell. Many Northerners were attracted to the South in the decades following the Civil War. The time of the Southern Reconstruction had ended and the economy was on the rise. North Carolina was a strong focal point of this new wealth. Cheap farming land and even cheaper labor in the region offered opportunities to make fortunes. Of these families was that of a profitable Brooklyn merchant named William Hardy Cropsey, and his family would include a young daughter called Nell. So about how old was she at this point? It was in 1898, so uh, she would be 14, 15. Okay. Nell was born Ella Maud Cropsey in July of 1882 to William and his wife, Mary Louise. When the Cropsey family left Brooklyn, New York for Elizabeth City, North Carolina in 1898, they moved onto a 65-acre plantation with an elegant Victorian home known at Seven Pines. The family's success would flourish with William becoming a justice in the Pasquatic County for the community of about 3,500. The family's success would grow and grow as their plantation became more and more prosperous. By November 1901, 19-year-old Nell and her younger sister, Ollie, had settled into their southern life and grown to become radiant beauties. Nell was referred to as Beautiful Nell, having chestnut hair and dark blue eyes. Oh, that's me. You're always beautiful. (laughs) And I'm not 19. Well, that's good because that would get really creepy with me being 52. Now, the girls each drew the attention of a multitude of male suitors, and both found themselves in serious relationships with promising young men. Ollie began to liaison with a man named Roy Crawford, while Nell began being courted by a local man named Jim Wilcox, who was the son of the local sheriff and five years her senior. Wilcox and Cropsey had been courting for nearly three years, and it's said that Nell was growing impatient with Jim Wilcox's hesitancy to propose marriage. She had a strong desire to start her own family and home. Attempting to compel Wilcox into proposing, she began publicly flirting with other men of the city. Ouch! I don't know if that would be the way to get someone to ask you to marry them well if you think about gone with the wind you can imagine scarlett o'hara as she was flirting with multiple men to try and attract the attention of the man that she really wanted to marry her 
So it's kind of similar into that scenario. However, one rumor amongst the community of Elizabeth City was Nell's romantic involvement with a neighbor named John Fearing. The fact that this man was married and much older made the situation even more scandalous to the half of the town that were aware of it. Oh my gosh. So let me just reiterate. You have the son of the sheriff who isn't going to marry this girl. And now she's flirting with a married man. Ooh, oh, ooh, ouch. This is going to get, ouch. Well, it might be that there was even more going on than just flirting. Wow. This was much more than a rumor, as later generations of the Fearing family confirmed the actual relationship between the two. It seems Nell was pushing the issue with Jim Wilcox to the very limits of his reserve. Chapter 2, The Night of Disappearance Both Roy and Jim visited the Cropsey home on the evening of November 20th, 1901. A cousin of the Cropsey's visiting Elizabeth City was also present. The topic of conversation went on throughout the night until it had taken a very dark turn. Nell brought the subject of suicide and asked what was the best method would be to kill oneself. In her opinion, she suggested that freezing was the most painless and effective means. It was never clear if she was truly interested in the subject, or was this just another ploy to motivate Wilcox into marriage before they both were too old and died? How can freezing be painless? It's horrible. Well, from what I've been told about freezing and being very cold is that you go numb. And as your body goes more and more numb, you get sleepy and tired and you basically fall asleep and you don't wake up. Is how people who die from freezing actually uh, suffer or don't suffer. Okay. This was the subject that Nell brought up at the end of the evening. Right. Obviously, this is going to cause the evening to stop. It eventually ended at approximately 11 p.m. as Jim Wilcox stood up to leave and asked Nell to exit to the front door with him so that he might speak with her alone. Aside from Ollie and Roy Crawford, everyone else in the house was asleep. When Nell Cropsey stepped outside the door on the bitterly cold night with Wilcox, it would be the last time her younger sister would ever see her alive. It seemed that Nell's plan to push Wilcox into a proposal had gone terribly wrong. Mm -hmm. The young couple had a horrible argument that night. Wilcox would not take the pressure nor the public flirting any longer. Damn right! The dispute was boisterous and everyone in the household could hear that the two lovers were yelling at one another. Even if what they were saying couldn't be completely understood. Some of Nell's family, who were in the house at the time, did say that she and Wilcox had reconciled by the end of the evening. But no one ever discovered what the status of the lover's relationship was at the close of the night. Ollie, 
heard the sound of a loud bang against the back of the house soon after the sounds of the argument ended. She went and discovered that the screen door had been broken when she went out to search for the cause. She didn't see any sign of who or what had broken the door, but she decided to make her way upstairs to see if Nell was already in bed. The young woman only found her sister's room empty. She guessed that her sister and Wilcox had moved into one of the house's private sitting rooms to continue their conversation. Ollie returned to her own room and attempted to sleep, hoping that everything would work out for her sister. An hour later at midnight, there was a loud disturbance throughout the house. The Cropsey's dog suddenly began to bark loudly, awakening the rest of the family. The entire household went out onto the front porch to determine the cause of the late-night disturbance. Their neighbor was yelling that someone was trying to steal the Cropsey's pigs from the pen in the backyard. This prompted everyone to rush downstairs. The front door was hanging wide open, barely able to remain attached to its framework. With the entire family present, they made a terrible discovery. There was someone missing. Nell was not present. In fact, there was no sign of their elder daughter. Only Jim Wilcox's umbrella a gift from Nell, was left standing inside the door. Nell's mother, Mary, was overcome with fear regarding the safety of her poor child. William tried to soothe her by suggesting that it was possible that Nell and Jim had run away in the night to elope. In his heart, however, William knew something was amiss. Chapter 3 The Hunt for the Missing Girl when morning finally came and Nell Cropsey was still missing, the family inspected her room. There they discovered that none of Nell's belongings were missing and that she had not packed any of her belongings. There was nothing to support the theory that she had run off to get married. The hunt for the missing girl began in earnest as the father made his first stop in the morning and visited the Wilcox family to ask questions. When he arrived, Jim was there, yet the young man refused to answer William's call. Uh-oh, that's never good. Yeah, when the prime suspect doesn't want to yeah. talk to you. Because of this, alarmed by the presence of Will's suitor and his unwillingness to talk, William Cropsey went to the chief of police. The authorities came and forced Jim Wilcox to return to the Cropsey home and he endured hours of interrogations on what had happened to the missing girl. Despite repeated begging from Mary Cropsey, Jim would say nothing other than he had left now crying on the porch after a 10-minute conversation. He refused to say why the young woman was crying, what the conversation was about, or where he had gone after he left the Cropsey home. Well, that makes him freaking guilty. <laughs> Definitely not the smartest move he could have done at this time. Gosh. Some believe that Wilcox broke up with Nell that evening. He had gone to Seven Pines with a heavy heart to end the three-year relationship. 
he had with him the only two gifts the young girl had given him. The umbrella, which had been found in the home by the broken door, and a photograph of her, which he had kept in his pocket. Giving these gifts back to Nell was his statement that their relationship was over. Afterwards, he had walked the short distance away on Shepherd Street where he encountered a friend. After speaking for ten minutes, the two departed company and the heartbroken man continued his way home. The identity of this friend was never identified. <laughs> because Nell was said to have been in high spirits over an upcoming trip to New York, the police ruled out suicide. None of her belongings were missing or compromised. Since Nell had been having trouble with her right foot, police surmised that she could not have run away and was likely carried off the front stoop. Frantic searches of the area ensued. Townspeople, law enforcement, and trained bloodhounds combed the forests and swamps. Nothing materialized, and there was no sign of the missing girl. Because of this, rumors surfaced that Nell had been terribly afraid of Jim and his short temper. I don't buy that one. Sorry. Why don't you buy that one? <laughs> well, if you were afraid of somebody and their short temper, why would you be flirting around with people? I mean, you'd be too afraid to make them mad. Perhaps she thought she could handle him. Okay. She kind of had an overinflated view of herself. Same with Gone with the Wind. <laughs> <laughs> Again, another very close similarity. Friends and family began to recall numerous terrible arguments between Nell and Jim in the previous months. Mary Cropsey told the police that her daughter had recently confided that she just didn't really love her boyfriend and was readying to leave him. Hmm. Mary Cropsey told the police that her daughter had recently confided that she just didn't really love her boyfriend and was preparing herself to leave him. Hmm. All of this is getting very interesting. I, I mean, are these people making this stuff up, or has this really happened? Over the years, a lot of the facts that were in the paper have been changed with new rumors and their own versions of what had happened. Right. But the basics is, this is what they thought had happened at the time. Well, I mean, because after a while, it's like, okay, so the guy did it. So let's just say that, yeah, I remember they were arguing a month ago about something. And my daughter said she really didn't love him. So this guy who's, who killed her, get him, boys. It gets even worse because the rumors claim that Nell had become disenchanted with Jim Wilcox as he had been teased by many of the other people in the community. Due to his short height of a five feet, he was nicknamed Shorty and Squatty didn't really gain that much respect. He developed a thick skin due to the teasing, but Nell never appreciated it. Suspicion for Nell's disappearance at once fell on Jim Wilcox. He maintained that he had no idea what had happened to her, but this wasn't good enough for the police. He also showed no real emotion towards himself and the situation he found himself in. Didn't you say in the beginning that he was related to, wasn't he the son of the... 
of the sheriff. They don't care. Well, in spite of his sheriff father's attempts to intervene, Wilcox was arrested on suspicion of kidnapping and was held in the local jail. <laughs> it seems his father didn't have that much influence. Right. With Wilcox sitting in jail and Nell still missing, the family remained in limbo. Weeks passed with still no trace of the missing girl. Jim Wilcox still refused to talk to the police, and the Cropsey family began to fear for the worse. Nell's disappearance soon began drawing the attention of the national media with headlines on all the East Coast newspapers. Yeah, and then once again, I'm going to go with, if you're innocent, tell the whole story. Tell what happened. Why are you not talking? He's just a dumb guy. He's very dumb at this point. Chapter 4 of The Mysterious Discovery <clears throat> According to the New York Times of December 7, 1901, a clairvoyant named Snell Newman traveled to Elizabeth City with claims that she knew the whereabouts of the missing girl. She met with the local police at the family residence and began escorting them to various locations in the town and out into the countryside. She stated that she had a vision that showed Wilcox had utilized chloroform on the girl and wrapped her unconscious body in a blanket. With his victim, he made his way to the small town 10 miles southeast called Weeksville. It was there that her vision showed him killing her and leaving her body in an abandoned well. The police made the attempt to search every abandoned well within 20 miles of Seven Pines, but had no success. Rumors of the visions, however, did fan the flames of anger towards Wilcox. People became even more convinced of his guilt because of the psychic and her false predictions. Great. <sighs> the situation just keeps getting worse and worse for Wilcox. Absolutely. Open your mouth and talk. Just before Christmas, on December 24th, there was a shocking turn of events in the case. An unsigned letter arrived at the family at Seven Pines with a Utica, New York postmark. It had what claimed to be a detailed account of the events of the night of Nell's disappearance. The letter wrote that after Wilcox had left Nell, she heard a suspicious noise in the backyard. She went to investigate and interrupted a vagrant attempting to steal the family pigs from the property. Upon being discovered, the startled man grabbed a heavy stick, and with it, he knocked Nell unconscious. The unknown man transported the unconscious Nell down to the river. There, he stole a nearby boat and rowed out onto the water. Nell's body was dumped in the Pasquanic River. The letter even included a map which indicated the exact spot where the body could be found. Who sent this letter and the events it recounts? How did they know what truly happened that night? 
and their source. Three days after the arrival of the mysterious correspondence, on the night of December 27th, Mrs. Cropsey was still obsessively spending every moment searching the riverbank when she noticed something. There was something floating in the river. She immediately sent boatmen out near the family home to investigate. Her agonizing long vigil was over. It had been more than a month after Nell's disappearance, 37 days without any news. Her lost daughter had been found, and the lifeless body was pulled from the river. So, letter written by Sheriff Daddy, after Kid told him what really happened. <laughs> so you're saying that Jim knew about the vagrant trying to steal the pigs? No, there was no vagrant trying to steal the pigs. That's just the story that was concocted. Oh, so that part was fake. Yeah. Okay. And somehow they traveled up to Utica, New York to mail the letter back down to Elizabeth City? Yeah. I'm thinking your theory's a little weak. Okay. It's possible, but a little work needs to be done. Now, the river had been searched in the past without success, giving many to imagine that the murderer had recently recovered the dead body from whatever hiding place he kept it and abandoned it in the river to be found. An autopsy was performed, and it was reported that there were bruises to the left side of her head, indicating that she had been struck by a heavy object. The absence of water in her lungs meant that she was dead before she was placed in the river. There is another detail which is even more curious. It seems the body was perfectly preserved, which would have been completely impossible if it had been deceased for a month. Could Nell have been kidnapped and then murdered? Or was something more mysteriously going on? Chapter 5, The Curse of Nell Cropsey. Okay, this is what I want. Give it to me. Well, the town went into a frenzy with the discovery of Nell's body. The jail had death threats pouring in, all but promising a public lynching of Jim Wilcox. Nell's parents intervened and refused to join the mob. The father pleaded with the mass to let justice be served in the courts. So eventually, Governor Icox sent in a small naval reserve group to disperse the crowds. Police maintained that the young man could not account for his whereabouts in the hours immediately following Nell's disappearance. Also damning, given the reports of Jim's short temper by the community and the medical examination of the autopsy, remember, the investigation showed that Nell had received a massive blow to the left temple, suggesting that there had been a breakup that went deadly wrong. The public was convinced of his guilt. So the public didn't believe the letter either. They believed the letter. They just believed that someone else knew what Jim had done. Huh. As you said, the sheriff father, but I think, yeah, it was a third person. If you think about it, 
Remember the neighbor who was screaming out to the family about the pigs being stolen? Right. She may have knew more than she had told the family at that time. She may have saw more than the pigs being stolen. She may have seen what had happened to Nell. Yeah. She would have said that, though. You would think. But who knows? Maybe she was involved. Maybe whoever did it threatened her. Okay. Trust me, this story has a lot of twists and turns in it. Jim waived his right to a preliminary hearing and was tried twice for the murder. At the first trial in March of 1902, he was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to be hanged on April 25th. Oh my God, they're going to hang an innocent man. Luckily, this conviction was overturned when the North Carolina Supreme Court declared a mistrial. All that hearsay does kind of interfere with the truth getting out there. Right. A second trial convicted Wilcox on a charge of second-degree murder and sentenced him to 30 years in prison. At neither trial did Wilcox ever take the stand in his own defense. Man, this guy's a dipshit. Well, we never get to hear his own words of what happened. Exactly. I mean, that's important. (laughs) You would think so. And it wasn't until 1918, after having served half of his sentence, Jim was visited and pardoned by the governor of North Carolina, a Thomas Walter Bickett. It is believed that Wilcox had broken his silence with the governor of the truth behind the death of his former love. To the end of his life, Wilcox kept his innocence. I really wish we had known what he had told no kidding. the governor. Because it must have been really good to convince him to pardon him and release him from prison. Exactly. I mean, that's, this is, I don't, this story is just weird. So the truth is out there, but Wilcox doesn't seem to want to share it. Jim Wilcox returned home to Elizabeth City, but obviously he was ostracized by the citizens and became an alcoholic recluse. Shortly before his death in 1932, he did speak with a W.O. Saunders, the editor of the Elizabeth City newspaper, regarding a collaboration on a book about the Cropsey case. This would have been Jim's best opportunity to presenting the truth. Right. Unfortunately, Wilcox revealed his side and everything he knew about the murder. Saunders walked away from the interview convinced the man was innocent and planned to publish the full details. Okay. Two weeks after that interview, Jim Wilcox took a shotgun and committed suicide. It seems that on that night, William and Ollie Cropsey had called a press conference to remind the community of Wilcox's guilt in the murder. So he had no way out, even if he was telling the truth. In his suicide note, he wrote, I had no connection in the death of the murder of Nell. I loved her and miss her every day. According to the newspaper reports of his death, pieces of his brain were found all over the room. Okay, we needed that part put in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Saunders, who was going to write a book exonerating Wilcox and 
proving his innocence, died shortly thereafter in a car accident. Whatever Wilcox had told Saunders would go with both of them to their graves. So he never wrote any of it out. That's... It was never found. This is ridiculous. Someone or something is keeping the truth from coming out. All right. This chapter is the curse. Okay. That's... I'm so frustrated right now. It gets even worse for the family of the Cropsies. (laughs) Okay. They continued to suffer tragedies. Ollie, the younger sister, was so negatively affected by the heartbreaking loss of her sister that she became a reclusive hermit. Apparently, she continued to dress in the same 1901 style throughout her life in some insane attempt to stop time from when she lost her sister. That's very sad. Or something happened that night that she was aware of and broke her sanity. True. We'll never know, I guess. Even on the national census, she reduced her age to remain as close to that time period as she could. (laughs) Even the date on her gravestone is incorrect. On the rare occasions that she did appear in public, it was only to repeat her firm and unwavering belief that Jim Wilcox was guilty. This would continue until her death in 1944 from colon cancer. So poor Ollie continued to live for 40 years afterwards as if she was still in 1901. Nell's father, William, who had been a successful farmer, suffered financial hardship after hardship, destroying the family's fortune to the point that he was reduced to ending up selling vegetables from a wicker basket. God, (laughs) that's such a perfect life. That perfect life would also end for her mother, Mary, who had to be institutionalized until her own death in 1948. Even Nell younger brother, Will, quote, sealed his lips by drinking poison, carbonic acid, in Norfolk in 1913 as his wife and child watched on. What the hell? (laughs) What is wrong with this family? It goes beyond the family. Even Ollie's former suitor, Crawford, you remember him? I do. Well, he would also be a victim when he put a gun to his head and killed himself in Oklahoma in 1908. Huh. It would seem a curse was enacted upon the death of Nell that affected everyone involved. Whether it was Nell enacting revenge from beyond the grave or some other darker power working to keep the truth hidden. Yeah, you'd think she would want the truth out. Maybe she was trying to force the family or these other people to admit their part in what had happened to her. And when they didn't, bad things happen. (sighs) The story does continue for Nell. (laughs) Okay. Chapter 6, The Pale Woman For the past century, since 1901, those who have lived in the Cropsey home have reported strange happenings. The house still exists, and lights have gone on and off by themselves, doors open and shut of their own accord, 
as though someone is moving through the home. Strange gusts of cold air move throughout the house. Her presence is constantly felt. Water will rush from the faucets of the sinks without cause. The most shocking is the appearance of a pale figure of a young woman being seen moving throughout the house. Many people who pass by on the street outside the home have reported seeing a ghostly figure of a girl in a white dress peering out of an upstairs window from the parlor. Residents even say that the figure of Nell Cropsey has appeared in their bedrooms at night. It seems that the unfortunate victim of one of North Carolina's most famous and sensational murder cases still wanders through her home in Elizabeth City. She seems to be waiting on the true facts around her murder to be discovered. Was it Jim Wilcox? And if not, why hasn't he spoken up his truth? Was it one of the other men she flirted with, even the married man she had a relationship with? What part did the family and Ali Souter have in her disappearance and death? So many questions that have never been answered. So many questions that Nell seems to want answered before she can rest. After all of these years, it seems unlikely that the truth will ever be revealed, which means that the unfortunate young woman is just as unlikely to find the peace that she still seeks. Her lingering presence acts as a reminder that she never truly received the justice that she deserved. And because she still walks, she is never forgotten. This enduring mystery has become part of the living history of Elizabeth City, and no visit to the quiet coastal town is complete without a walk by the Cropsey home, which is located at 1901 Riverside Drive. Oh, that's odd. Quite a coincidence. This home in Elizabeth City is a private residence, but is occasionally opened up to the public on special occasions, including the annual Elizabeth City Ghost Walk, meant to raise charitable funds. Huh. That's a lot to think about, because, I mean, if Jim was innocent, why didn't he say something? So that kind of helps with his guilt. But what would cause a man to not speak up in his own defense? Exactly. Who was he protecting? What was keeping him from spreading the truth? Uh, was it another person? Was it something dark? Was it his sister? Her sister? Could Ollie have been involved in the murder? Or could she have been involved with Jim Wilcox? And the two of them be involved in her murder? There is so many variables about what could have really happened. That's true. Each more darker than the other. It's just a mess. And I, it's... Just strange that nothing was ever brought to light. And since it happened in 1901, I don't think it ever will. No. Everyone's done. Yeah. The story of beautiful Nell and her tragic death remains strong within the community, even after more than a century has passed. The mystery may never be solved, but will always be studied and passed on by those that wish her an opportunity to eventually rest in peace. 
I wouldn't mind going and doing a ghost box session, seeing if we could talk to her. As I said, it is a private residence, and but they do open it up to a ghost tour. So it is something you can look up online to see when they do these special events at the location and what is involved in them. Right. So there's a project for you. Yeah, true. For us, we are on social media, and we would love to hear your stories and opinions about ghosts and the murder of Nell Cropsey. Perhaps you have your own theory that you'd like to share with us. We would love to hear it. You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast. We are also on Instagram and Twitter. We have an email at withinthemistpodcast at gmail.com for any of you who would like to share your story. We hope you enjoyed our tale about Nell Cropsey Ghost. And we'll come again for another episode. Until then, look closely at that shadow in the room and remain constantly curious. Goodbye, everybody. See you next time, guys.